Km Titi Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Today is Thursday. The Shiur in Parshat Hashavuah will be given by Mrs. Yael Ziegler. Afterwards, I'll be back with the Halacha Yomit. Today, I'd like to focus on the opening parsha in Parshat Acharimot, and that is Veikra Perak Tetzayin. The Parsha, popularly known or more commonly known as Avodat Yom Kippurim. Um, of course, this is the Torah portion <coughs> which we read on Yom Kippur. We read the Perak, um, uh, which tells us about the Avoda that the Kohen Gadol uh, did in the Beit HaMikdash on Yom HaKippurim. And yet, when we first glance at the Parsha, we immediately note that there are some curiosities in uh, calling this, or some questions in calling this Parsha Avodat Yom Kippurim. Um, most especially the fact that the Perak never even tells us until the 29th Pasuk that, in fact, this Avoda is meant to be done on a particular day of the year. We read in Pasuk Kavtet, Vahitalachem l'chukat olam b'chodesh hashvi'i b'asor l'chodesh so that this, uh, this, this avoda that we do, we do it in the seventh month, on the tenth day, that we only learn at the very end of the Parsha. And that in and of itself, I think, is worthy of note and certainly is worthy of examination. Um, some other questions which arise when we first glance at this parak is, for example, in Pasuk Aleph, we begin with, Vaydaber Hashem El Moshe, so we refer back to the story of Nadav and Avihu, which took place at the beginning of Perak Yud. The question, of course, being, why do we return now to an earlier story? What is the connection between Nadav and Avihu's uh, death and this, uh, this Perak here? Um, the other thing that I think that is is worthy of knowing. Of course, many different Mepharshim offer various explanations for these questions. Um, the other thing that I think that is worthy of note here, that all of which um, eventually come together to form a particular idea, is the fact that this parak of Avodat Yom HaKippurim doesn't appear in any of the Chagim section in Tanakh. Now, there are plenty of places where, in fact, we do read about Yom HaKippurim. Um, <clears throat> and, of course, we have in uh, Parshat Emor, in just a few Parshiot, in Sefer Vayikra. Um, and the question, of course, is why is this parak, if this parak is really centered on the major activity that Am Yisrael is required to engage in, and Am Yisrael is required to focus in um, on on Yom Kippurim, why does it appear outside of the context of the Chagim of Yom HaKippurim itself? Why does it appear here in Vayikra Perak Tetzayin? I think that, um, that, that although, of course, there are many different explanations for each of these questions, it seems to me that all three of these questions lead us to one particular conclusion, and that is that this Parsha is not about Yom HaKippurim. The Avodah here is not rightly called Avodat Yom HaKippurim. Instead, what I would call the Avodah here that the Kohen Gadol engages in when he comes into the Kodesh Kodeshim, I would call it the Avodah of Tshuva. This is the Avodah of Tshuva. It is indeed performed on the day that is seen as the culmination of the Tshuva process, but it is actually simply a depiction of the Avodah of Tshuva, and not 
necessarily or specifically the Avodav Yom HaKippurim. Actually, when we read in Pasuk Gimel, Bizot Yavo Aharon El HaKodesh, it is with this kind of Avoda that Aharon can come into the Kodesh. The Gra here, the, the Vilnagon, and the Nitziv here indicate that Aharon could do this Avoda whenever he wished. He was not at all limited to Yom HaKippurim. Now, it happens to be, of course, that every year we do perform this Avoda on Yom HaKippurim because Yom HaKippurim, of course, is the ultimate day, the ultimate opportunity of tshuva. Um, but that's only an afterthought because the primary purpose of the parsha is to explain how we go about engaging in the tshuva process. It's a secondary factor that says, oh, and by the way, the time that you always do this tshuva process is on Yom HaKippurim. This is perhaps what leads both the Gra and the Nitziv to say that Aaron could do this at other times of the year as well if he felt that, in fact, it was necessary. It also clarifies why the sins of Nadav and Navihu are connected to this, this parak. Um, it's the event of Nadav and Avihu's punishment of death, their immediate and cataclysmic punishment of death, which necessitates a parasha designed to inform us how to do tshuva in order to prevent death as an immediate punishment for future sins. Um, the center of this avoda are these two si'irei <coughs> izim, which the Kohen Gadol offers on behalf of the congregation. What I'd like to do is to try to understand what is the idea behind the Avoda of Tshuva. Is there some sort of philosophy of this Avoda of Tshuva which, which, which can clarify what is the central feature of Tshuva that takes place here in Anyoma um, Kippurim, but more specifically in the Beit HaMikdash when the Kohen Gadol decides, determines that in fact it's necessary that Amisrael engage in some sort of Avoda of Tshuva. Um, I'd like to begin by drawing on a, an essay that Rav Salvechik um, uh, writes. Actually, he, he says this essay during the Aser Yimei Tshuva. It's one of the essays which appears in Al HaTshuva. Um, and it's, uh, uh, the essay is called Bi'or Hara V'Ha'alato. Um, the Rav begins with an interesting Gemara Nyoma, an interesting and well-known Gemara Nyoma, which records a machloket between two statements of Reish Lakish. The Gemara begins with saying, it says, the Gemara Nyoma and Daf Pevav Amud Bet, Amar Reish Lakish, Gidolat Shuva Shezdonot Naasot Lo Kishkagot, Shenemar Shuva Yisrael Ad Hashem Elkecha Ki Kashalta Ba'avonecha. So the Gemara says, or Rish Lakish says, great is tshuva because his intentional sins can turn into mistakes. God can view his intentional sins like mistakes. And they bring a proof text. The Gemara says, Ha avon mezidhi veka krele michshol. Usually an avon is something which is done intentionally. But in this passage, the avon is called some sort of michshol, a stumbling block, which indicates that God now views our intentional sins as something that we did by accident. And the Gemara goes on and says, but in fact, Reish Lakish seems to have said something else which contradicts this statement of Reish Lakish, this, this, this statement that they just quoted. The Gemara says, Ini, is that, is that so? Kidola Shuva, Shezdonot Na'asot Lo Kizchuyot. 
But Rish Lakish actually said something much more, uh, much more extremist, much more interesting. He said, "Great is tshuva because the intentional sins can be turned into merits." And here again, the Gemara brings a proof text. The Gemara ends by answering, Lo kashya kan me'ahava kan me'yira. The Gemara answers saying, it's not a problem here. The, the, one, statements of, the one statement of Reish Lakish was talking about tshuva me'ava, and the other statement was talking about tshuva me'yira. Now, um, the Rav asks the obvious question on this passage in the Gemara Yoma. He says, you know, one can certainly understand how sins can somehow be transformed into mistakes. But to suggest that they can become merits is obviously very peculiar. How can violating Shabbat be viewed in God's eye as a merit? In what way could this increase one person's worthiness before God? And this question generates the Rav's description of two different types of tshuva. Perhaps it's a, an extension of the answer of the Gemara, tshuva me'ava, tshuva me'ira. The Rav suggests that the first statement that Reish Lakish makes, that your sins can be recast as mistakes, refers to the person whose tshuva involves a process of biur hara. Biur hara is the extirpation of evil from one's life. In this approach to tshuva, the sinner wipes away his past in preparation for a pure future. He takes to heart the words of Micha, who describes God throwing sins into the depths of the sea. In this process of repentance, the former sinner becomes a different person entirely, with no affinity whatsoever to his former self. This kind of Baal Tshuva is described by the Rambam in Hechot Tshuva, Perek Bet, Halacha Dalet, Midarkei HaTshuva Liyot HaShav Tzoek Tamid Lifnei Hashem Bivchi Uvitachnonim Umitrachek Harbei Min HaDavar Shechatabo Umeshanesh Shmo He distances himself very much from the sins which he did and he changes his name Klomar Ani Acher Ve'eni Oto Ha'ish Sha'asa Otan HaMasim and he says, I'm, I'm a different person. I'm not the same man who did those things. According to um, this kind of tshuva, according to this perception of tshuva, the idea is, is that the person disconnects themselves in, themselves entirely from their past. According to the Rav, this would involve some sort of act of divine grace, whereby God commutes this new person's former intentional sins to mistakes because of the sincerity of the person's um, experience of tshuva. When, however, according to the Rav, do the sins become merits? The Rav answers this in a very interesting fashion, and he says that the other kind of tshuva that one can do is not biur hara, but rather what he calls ha'alat hara. And this is when the sinner, instead of scorning his past, channels it and utilizes it for his future. That is ha'alat hara, the elevation of evil. This type of tshuva utilizes the past in order to elevate the future. 
Now, how does one accomplish this? The Rev offers actually two very intriguing examples um, as to how one might ennoble his sinful past. Before he actually, uh, before we actually get to the Rev's examples, I think we have some interesting Gemaras, actually um, uh, some interesting Gemaras which may enlighten us um, in a direction different than the one that the Rav gives. So, for example, there's uh, the Gemara that describes to us Reish Lakish's life, his previous life, before he became a Rav, before he became a Tamad Chacham. And there's a famous Gemara in Bamatia Andaf Peidalid, in which uh, Reish Lakish is swimming, and Rabbi Yochanan sees him swimming, and he sees how strong he is, and he says to him, your strength should be used for Torah. And of course, Reish Lakish retorts, well, your beauty should be used for women. And Rabbi Yochanan says, well, if you come to the base Medrash and you learn, then I will give you my sister, and she is even more beautiful than I. Uh, Reish Lakish does eventually agree, and um, and he comes back to the Beit Midrash with Rabbi Yochanan. And immediately afterwards, the Gemara records an interesting machloket between Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan as to when uh, weapons are mekabel tuma. Now, I won't go into the details of the machloket, but the end result of the machloket is, in fact, that Rabbi Yochanan is uh, rejected. His position is rejected. The idea being that Reish Lakish is more capable of understanding about how weapons work in order to render a decision in this matter. Now, while this story, if you would read the continuation of the Gemara, doesn't have an extremely happy ending, the message of the story, I think, may be directly related to what the Rav is trying to say here. How can one ennoble his sinful past? How can he use his past in order to elevate his future? Well, perhaps in this particular example, what we see is a very practical example of a former robber who, instead of pretending that his former life didn't exist, is able to use his knowledge from his former life in order to enhance our understanding of halacha. So he uses his knowledge of weapons in order to um, in order to render a halachic decision involving the tuma of uh, or what is in fact a completed weapon and therefore when it's makabal tuma. The Rav, however, doesn't give this example. The Rav talks about two different examples of halatara, both of which I think are very intriguing. In the first example, the Rav speaks of how a person can only fully appreciate something after he experiences its loss. This is a common theme in Rav Soloveitchik's writings. And he says, this is true certainly about losing people, and it is also true about the loss of God. And therefore, says the Rav, only after one has experienced a state of sinfulness, only after a person has lived through the agony and loneliness of feeling distant from God, can a person truly appreciate his relationship with God. And therefore, the Baal Tshuva who returns to God with an alarming realization of what he has almost lost can acquire a newfound appreciation for his relationship with God. This, in turn, can invest his spiritual life with greater fervor, with more devotion, with more love. This is Ha'alatara, using the pain of the sinful past in order to infuse the future with more meaning. 
This is the first example that the Rav gives of Ha'alat Hara, not to ignore the experience of sinfulness, but rather to allow it to accompany a person into their future in, in, in an attempt to try to elevate the future by using the past. And the Rev offers a second example of what can constitute Ha'alat Hara. This is perhaps an even more intriguing example. In this example, the Rev points out that the experience of sinfulness is fundamentally different than the experience of righteousness. Avodat Hashem is, um, or I should say the opposite, the experience of sinfulness involves unparalleled passion, fervor, excitement, and desire that a person um, uh, channels into this experience of sinning. This is, this is not um, uh, found, there is no equivalent, says the Rav, when, when we talk about a person who is doing what is good and proper. Therefore, the person who has been sinful in his past, says the Rav, has the singular opportunity to use his newly discovered reserve of energy, single-mindedness, passion, and intensity, and channel them towards service of God. In other words, this man has finally experienced something which he couldn't have experienced in his initial experience of Avodah Hashem, says the Rav. Um, and, and therefore, he is now in the position of attaining a more passionate expression in his Avodah Hashem when he returns to God after having had the experience of sinfulness. Um, this new fervor, says the Rav, can raise him to great heights, can pull him closer to Akash Baruch these are two examples of how one might achieve or how one might go about implementing the kind of tshuva that the Rav calls Ha'alat Hara, the kind of tshuva that Reish Lakish says, Gidolat tshuva shezdonot na'asot lo kizchuyot, great is tshuva because his intentional sins have turned into merits. This is the manner in which one may transform sins into merits and to merits. Because in this scenario, his sins actually propel him forward to a spiritual condition that he could not have attained otherwise. So obviously, Ha'alatara seems to be the preferable type. It's obviously uh, desirable that we should rather turn our sins uh, into merits than simply into mistakes. Um, and, it's, and, and of course, Halatara therefore, is being presented by the Rav as the highest form of tshuva. However, the Rav concedes that there are certain sins, perhaps there are certain even scenarios, which simply cannot be elevated. There are certain uh, kinds of experiences which should not, must not be used towards the future, but must be completely extirpated from the world. Some sins are so penetratingly evil that nothing good can come of them. They must be completely destroyed in order to progress. And therefore, we have two types of tshuva which are available to us, says the Rav. Uh, there is biyor hara, there is the model of taking your sins, throwing them into the deepest depths of the sea where we never want to encounter them again. They must be totally eradicated from the world. And then there are circumstances in which one can utilize their sins in order to channel them towards a better future, a higher future, a more spiritual future. It seems to me that the center of Avodat Tshuva in Vaikra Perak Tetzayin, returning now to our topic, um, 
also represents these two different kinds of, of tshuva. And in fact, what we do have here in Vayikra, Perak Tetzayin, is this paradigm of tshuva. That's what we mentioned previously. I wouldn't call this avodat Yom Kippurim. I would call it avodat tshuva. And of course, the center of this avoda, as we mentioned before, are these two sirei izin, which the Kohen Gadol offers on behalf of the, con- on the, of the congregation. It seems to me that these two sirei izim are in fact meant to be, or do in fact represent, these two different kinds of tshuva, which the Rav delineates in his essay, Biur Hara V'halato. Let me just uh, clarify, let me just state for clarification that the Rav does not, in fact, make this correlation between the two si reizim and Biur Hara V'halatara, but I think if we examine the, the, the avoda of these two sirim carefully, I think that we see that, in fact, these two sirim do, in fact, represent these two kinds of tshuva. Well, let's look at the Seir Hamishtaleach. The first Seir is called the Seir Hamishtaleach. Um, this goat is sent away to die. This goat, over whom Vidoy was said, bears the sins of Amisrael and must be completely removed from the camp. We detach ourselves so completely from this goat that the person who sends the seir needs to wash himself before he can re-enter the camp. This is a total divorce from this seir. This seir bears the sins that um, of Am Yisrael that require biur hara, that require extirpation of evil. And in fact, what it seems to me is that, that, that the experience of taking this goat and sending him into the Midbar, bearing the sins of Am Yisrael to die, never to re-enter the camp again, we have to completely um, divorce ourselves from any contact with this goat. This goat represents the part of Avodat Tshuva which which focuses on Biur Hara. The other Seir, of course, is known as the Seir HaChatat, or alternatively, the Seir LaShem. This goat, which also bears the sins of the people, it is of course called the Seir HaChatat, is a korban. It's a regular korban. It's brought to God in the Beit HaMikdash. It is part of our ongoing constructive relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The blood of this korban is brought El Mi Beit LaParochet. The Seir LaHashem draws us closer to God. Now this Seir also, of course, bears the sins of Am Yisrael. And in this particular scenario, it seems to me that this goat represents the idea of Ha'alat hara, of our ability to take our sins and use it to bring us closer to God. El mi beit la parochet, lihit karev, the korban that, you, that we use in order to bring us closer to God. It seems to me that the central idea that underlies this particular avoda of, of tshuva, the one that takes place on Yom HaKippurim, reflects in, in, a, in, a, in a very precise manner, the two different kinds of tshuva that the Rav poses as the two ultimate ideals of tshuva. One being, of course, more ideal than the other, but of course, biur hara also being necessary in certain particular circumstances. And so what the Kohen Gadol is doing here by, um, by, by, by taking these two si'irim, who are both equal, of course, the um, Chazal tells us, we take these shnei si'irei izim, and we do two different of 
avodas with them, each of which represent these two different kinds of tshuva. Now, um, in order perhaps to complete this shiur, um, I want to turn to actually another another passage, another story in uh, in the Torah. And actually, it's the the uh, parsha that we read. Of course, we read Vayikra uh, Tedzayim. We read on Yom Kippur. I want to talk just for a few minutes about the parsha that we read on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and of course, there are two days of Rosh Hashanah, and so we read two different parshiot. And it seems to me that there's a correlation between the idea that we just presented about this par- parsha, our parsha here in Vayikra Perak Zion, what I called Avodat Chuva, and the two parshiot that we read on the two days of Rosh Hashanah. And in fact, for many, many uh, years, I always, I always was struck by the similarity between this avoda of Yom Hakippurim, the Seir La Hashem, and the Seir La Azazel, and the story of Avraham's, uh, the command that God gives to Avraham as to how he must interact with his two sons, of course, in this test of Avraham's emuna. His first, the first story, of course, being um, the sending away of Yishmael into the Midbar. The second story being Akedat Yitzchak. And these are, of course, the two parshiot that we read on Rosh Hashanah. I think it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't take a great um, a leap of the imagination to understand why one might correlate between the Seir La Azazel and the story of the sending away of Yishmael into the Midbar, and the Seir La Hashem and the story of bringing Yitzchak as a korban. A story which, of course, doesn't come to fruition. But the point of which is that Abraham is willing and ready and capable of doing, in fact, this act. Now, um, for many years, I. I, I, I felt that these two parshia were somehow related, and eventually I came across a footnote in um, in in I believe it was in Pirkei Moadot of Rav Breuer. It might have been in Pirkei Breishit, one of Rav Breuer's essays, where he actually um, also makes this correlation, where he says the Seir LaHashem is Yitzchak, and the Seir LaAzazel is in fact Yishmael. And what is the meaning of these stories for the idea that we've been posing here today, Avodat Um I think that in many ways, Avram's life can be seen as the paradigmatic process of tshuva, of repentance. He begins his life with the command, Lech Lecha, and he ends with the very same command. At the beginning of the story of the Akedah, this is the culmination of his experience of movement. His entire life is a movement. It is described as a dynamic process meant to lead him from his origins, where Terah, his father, worshipped idols, Me'ever Lanahar, to his destiny in the land of Canaan, engaged in a relationship with God. He is in this constant dynamic process. Avraham is, in many ways, the paradigmatic Baal Tshuva. Now, how, in fact, does he go about this dynamic process of movement? Well, Chazal tells us that God tested Avram ten times. Why did God test Avram ten times? Not because God didn't know in advance the outcome of these tests, but because we have here, perhaps, a purification process, one that leads Avram further and further from his idolatrous roots and closer and closer to God. 
Although, of course, the precise identity of these ten tests that Chazal speak of in Avram's life is a matter of exegetical debate, there is no doubt that the sending away of Yishmael and Akedah Yitzchak appear to be among the last tests in Avram's life. And these tests represent the final movement in his lifelong journey away from his previous existence and towards his aim of Avodat Hashem. It is these events that establish Avram as the epitome of Tshuva, Atayad, says God after the Akedah, and this would explain why these stories, uh, the story of Akedah Ishmael and, uh, I'm sorry, of Akedah Yitzchak and Gerush Ishmael, focus on Avraham rather than on Yitzchak and Ishmael. These stories are an integral de- part of the depiction of the life of Avraham, and more particularly, an integral part of the dynamic process of repentance that characterizes Avraham's life. Let's talk for a minute about Gerush Ishmael. What does uh, what about Akedah Ishmael um, uh, rep- ultimately for Avraham is part of the process of tshuva? Why is Ishmael sent away? Ishmael, we're told, is mitzachek. Rashi maintains that Ishmael transgresses the three sins of Yereg Val Yavor, the three sins for which a Jew is required to accept death rather than to transgress. It seems that these sins are so evil and so threatening that there is no choice other than to extirpate them from the house. And the question for Avraham is, can you do Bi'or Hara in this situation? Can you demonstrate that you are capable even of the tshuva of Bi'or Hara with the most precious part of yourself, your future, your son? And of course, the answer is yes. Now, I want to talk for one minute in the one and a half minutes that I have remaining um, on the story of Akedat Yitzchak, of course, this parak is undoubtedly the culmination of Avram's career. I would say the culmination of his tshuva career. There are innumerable attempts to explain the idea behind the Akedah. I'm certainly not going to claim that I am explaining the idea behind the Akedah, but I am going to bring one idea. It is intriguing that Rav Cook explicates the, the, the Akedah in a very similar manner in which the Rav describes Ha'alat Hara in his essay in Alachuva. Recall that the Rav said that one of the two examples for utilizing the past in elevating one's future is to harness the tremendously intense energy found in sinfulness and lacking in Avodat Hashem in order to, um, to, to, to channel it towards Avodat Hashem. Only once one has experienced that kind of fervor will he know how to use it, thereby creating a potential for a former sinner that is not accessible to a person who has always been a righteous person. Now, Rav Cook maintains a very similar thought about the Akedah. He says that Avraham, who grew up in the surroundings of child sacrifice, of Avodah Zarah, must utilize the passion that he, that was heretofore absent in Avodat Hashem, but which is a passion that is unique to idolaters, and direct it towards God. In other words, Avraham is meant to learn from his past that was steeped in a an environment of idolatry, and to 
elevate his future by incorporating that passion in his present life. Of course, God does not really want him to sacrifice Yitzchak. He simply wants him to demonstrate how he can utilize his background towards Avodat Hashem. Rav Kuk goes so far as to say that this event is a watershed moment for Avodat Hashem. Rav Kuk actually says, and I'll tell you where it is because I'm sure some people are interested in looking it up. It's in uh, Igrot Haraya, volume 2, um, in the Rav Kuk edition, uh, the Mosada Rav Kuk edition, page Shin Ayin Tet. Rav Kuk actually says that we're, we're not for this event, for Akedat Yitzchak. Humanity would be faced with a choice either to maintain a passionless, cold, sterile religious experience or a fervent, wild um, existence of sinfulness. However, Avraham teaches us how to take his past and infuse it with the passion and use it for his future of Avodat Hashem. And therefore, here in the story of Avraham, in the story of Avraham's interaction with his two sons, we have here uh, an example of biur hara v'ha'alat hara, and therefore I think we uh, these these parshiot are read during the period of Aser Yimei Tshuva, the stories of Avraham in which he um, he completes his tshuva process vis-a-vis his sons um, uh, by showing that he can engage in biur hara and ha'alat hara in the most personal arena of his life, that is, his relationship with his sons. And then we culminate in the reading of Avodat HaTshuva, or Avodat Yom HaKippurim in Vayikra Perak Tetzayin, in which we substitute these two si'irim as the paradigms of this kind of tshuva, the tshuva that involves, on the one hand, biur hara, on the other hand, ha'alat hara. And so, when the Rav talks about, when Rav Salvechik talks about these two different kinds of tshuva as being the two ultimate experiences of tshuva, I believe that that idea finds expression in the different parshiot that we read on Yom Kippur and on Rosh Hashanah. I wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Um, and you have been listening to the Shir in Pashat Shavua of Mrs. Yael Ziegler. Today's Halacha Yomit. Yesterday, actually two days ago, since yesterday there was no broadcast due to Yom Atzma'ut. Two days ago, in the last Halacha Yomit, I spoke about the status of Hashem Sifatai Tiftach. Is it an actual full-fledged part of Shmon or an introduction to Shmon And I mentioned the number of nafkamina, the number of uh, uh, differences between the two possibilities. Another difference in halacha concerns what would be if somebody began to daven, he said, Hashem svatai tiftach ufiya and then he heard the chazan saying Kaddish, or just then the kahal God came up to up to Baruch Hu or Kedusha. Would he be allowed to answer Kaddish and Kedusha after having said Hashem Svatai Tiftach? So, if you accepted the opinion that Hashem Svatai Tiftach is not actually part of Shmon Esrei, Shmon Esrei is Berachot, eighteen or nineteen Berachot. It's an introduction, which is, in the words of the Gemara. An, an extension of Shmon but not part of Shmon then one could stop 
answer Kedusha. And then, when going back to davening, say Hashem Svatai again. The point is, you have to say it again because it has to introduce, it has to introduce the Shman Esrei. One shouldn't be mafsik between Hashem Svatai and Shman Esrei. But there's no problem saying it twice, and therefore the first time you said a pasuk, you said a pasuk. Answer Baruchu, answer Kedusha, answer Kaddish, and then go daven from the beginning, which means from Hashem Svatai Tiftach. But if Hashem Svatai Tiftach is actually part of Shman Esrei, and you've begun Shman Esrei, that even though you haven't begun the Bracha, but you've begun Shman Esrei, it's Asur, presumably, this is the argument, it's Asur to be mafsik, to interrupt in the middle of Shman Esrei. Not only in the middle of a Bracha, but even in the middle of Shman Esrei. And therefore, under this condition, since you've already started Shman Esrei, it's too late, you continue saying Shman Esrei, and you forget about uh, answering Bachu, Kedusha, or Kaddish. There's a, there's a side point here, which may surprise uh, uh, some people who are familiar with Halacha. If you're in the middle of Shman Esrei, and you hear Kedusha, Kaddish, or Bachu, is there anything you can do other than simply keeping on going? We'll discuss this at a later time when we get to Kedusha, uh, but in any event, you can't answer. One can surely not say Kedusha or say or answer Bachu when in the middle of Shemon and therefore if Hashem's Fatai Tiftach was at the beginning of Shemon you would you should not be able to you could not answer anything you heard from the Kahal at that point because you're in the middle of uh, because you're in the middle of Shemon As I pointed out, there are two opinions about this matter. In the general question, the Mishnah Bura seems to paskin that Hashem's Fatai Tiftach is only an introduction to Shemon and therefore he ruled that if you had forgotten to say Hashem Svatai Tiftach and you're ready in the middle of Shemun you don't have to go back, you shouldn't go back. Whereas the Moshe Feinstein disagreed and said that even if, you, if you've started Shemun and you haven't said Hashem Svatai Tiftach, you're missing part of Shemun You have to go back and repeat the whole thing from the beginning, including saying Hashem Svatai Tiftach again. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a special Erev Shabbat program for Pashat Achimot Kedoshim. Until then, Kol Tov, you've been listening to KMTT, Ki Mitzion Tetzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Mi Yerushalayim.